0: I also want to comment on what you were saying about the range of feelings and hearing early readers reactions especially emotional ones has been super affirming to me because like (laughs) I feel like I want to say like well I cried the whole time writing this I'm glad that I'm not alone here I'm glad I'm not alone I remember there was one time I came downstairs and I was I'm telling my partner I was like the next book cannot be so sad I have to write something less sad but once I went in it's like you know the I'm sure you have this experience but you put the characters on their feet and they are doing their thing and you're like oh we're doing this this is how it has to go
1: Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us.
2: And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. I am Ron Block. Today, we're joined by Emily Habeck, whose debut novel, Shark Heart, is getting a ton of deserved attention, from topping the August Indie Next list at number one to practically every most anticipated list there is out there.
1: I am Patti Callahan-Henry, and I have so much I want to say about this book. But first, I want to tell you about a blurb that Emily received from actor and writer Mary Louise Parker. She says... Emily doesn't shy away from the agony of goodbyes or the torture that can accompany unexpected freedom. With an otherworldly tenderness, she reminds us that life will always demand that we give over to its momentum and we adapt. The fact that these lessons are thrilling, hilarious, and effortless to read are the miracle of this book. And we could not agree more, Emily. I, love that quote. I know. She she nailed it. So there's so much to talk about and Emily, you know how much I love this book because I've told you and I've told everyone on my social media and anybody who will listen. So finally, Emily, welcome to the Friends and Fiction podcast.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Patty.
2: Okay, let's dive in. Okay, on the face of of it, the the novel is a love story about a woman named Wren and a man named Louis who are deeply in love as newlyweds, where they discover that he has a condition that is slowly turning him into a shark. But of course, that's not what the book is really about. It's about so much, Emily. It's about so many profoundly beautiful things, about being human, about love, about loss, and about change. What do you say the book is really about?
0: I think the last thing you said really is what the book means to me: change. I feel like I'm someone who has always struggled with change, and I really wonder if anyone is actually good at it. And there are so many micro deaths in a lifetime, just like the changing of seasons. I just feel that so profoundly, and. Even these celebrations where we're marking the move from one stage of life to another, a graduation, a wedding, I, I feel the loss in those things. And I think, I think this book is, I don't know, maybe a, a meditation or a rumination on all those things. And because it's fiction, I can make the stakes really high. And I, yeah, it was, just, it was just a complete joy to work on. And thank you so much for all your kind words.
1: So, Emily, what, before we dive in even further, I have to say, we met months ago, and I don't know if you noticed, but we both have the name
0: Wren yeah. in our novels. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. It's a, such an uncommon name, too. I know. Mine is
1: a, for a book man, and yours is for a woman. And the minute we noticed, I was mm-hmm. like, look at that bridge. Oh. It's amazing. What do you see in the name Wren? I felt, hey, I'm interviewing you. I, I felt I felt like it was I don't know, it came to me, it just bubbled up and I yeah. felt like it was a name for someone who was very free. And in the my novel, he is a character who is very free Well while, while the woman Peggy is not. She's very grounded and firm and he's trying to bring her up off the ground a bit.
0: Totally. Yeah. I feel, I really agree with that. I think it just came to me. It's, but it just felt right too. But similarly, there is that element of like, in, in the, in the love story dynamic, there is Ren and Lewis and Ren who has the, the bird like free name, as you just said, is, is the more steady grounded one. But I think that just speaks to the fact that we all contain multitudes and and no spoilers, but I mean, I think through her, arc we really see her fly emotionally and just in what she chooses for herself
1: I I agree and I also think it speaks to this river of the universal unconscious Mm -hmm. to be honest
0: Mm so absolutely
1: so in this novel there are other transformations not just Mm -hmm. Lewis turning into a shark there's a woman who is pregnant with birds and a woman who turns into a venomous lizard. So without spoilers, Mm -hmm. talk to us about the first inclination or even inspiration you had for this novel, the transformation of a human to animal. Can you pinpoint the first time you thought, ah, yes, I want to write about that and normalize it?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I never, I don't think I ever felt like, that I was normalizing it. And this is definitely a tangent, but I, I didn't feel that the story concept was strange at all the entire time I was working on it, until I started querying and um, looking for an agent, and I got so <laughs> many responses. Like, but their surprise was met with my surprise. So I was just like, "Wait, like this is a weird story idea." I mean, there are so many heartbreaking absurdities in this life that we just accept as like that's a fact. We 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 deal with that and. And so I'm like, what's so bizarre about a man turning into a shark? But as far as my inspiration, I was living in LA at the time and I grew up in Oklahoma, which is a landlocked state, as you know. So going to the ocean always just felt like a complete novelty to me and still does. I live on a different coast now, but the fact that this like a place I can go to and drive to in a day is just like pretty magical. And so I spent a lot of time there and I think just kind of imagining for those years, like what lives in the ocean and what would it be like to occupy that space? Like not as, not as a visitor, but like as a being that belongs there. And then, you know, I, I, I wrote the first scene, which is actually kind of in the middle of the book. And I, and it read like a short film at first. And at first I was like, well, maybe this is, you know, part of a larger script but then I just sensed that there was this pull and like more to the interior lives of these characters. And I'd never thought about writing a novel before, um, but once I did, I couldn't stop. And I think Lewis's like outward transformation into a shark and all the characters who deal with this kind of brutal brutal journey with their bodies um, had a lot to do with my like quieter inward transformation at that time without like really any cause, I had just stumbled into this crisis of meaning. And Mm. I was really questioning everything I thought I knew for sure. And especially things around the meaning of work and art. I was working in Los Angeles in film and TV. And for years, I kind of saw the commercial machine around storytelling. And I think I just, I kind of lost whatever that, that pure part of me that, has always loved to play and tell stories. And it's really easy just to kind of be thinking of like, how do I sell this? Like, how do I, how do, how do I make this fit into the groove of what the industry wants? And so I think writing this story was a way of liberating myself. And then as I started to work, all these other questions came up. Like, what do we do with all the grief in this life? Like I said, I'm someone who struggled with change. And through the course of the novel, of writing the novel my in my own story i ended up leaving los angeles and moving across the country to go to divinity school which is just a total like pivot you know <laughs> and um, <laughs> and in that place i was like surrounded by all these people like i never met a community of people like that who are just seriously mining their core and their innermost being of like, what do I have to offer the world? And how do I be of service to humanity? And the idea of having a vocation outside of a religious context was really novel to me and actually so revitalizing. And I was like, I think writing and storytelling and making art, that is my vocation. And vocation is so different from a career. Like a career is, is something that is externally measured, but vocation is like intentionally based. And I feel that like, if I am helping just one person with my writing and maybe that person is myself and I try to start there, like, is this something that is going to help or heal me or solve for something, then that's enough. And, so yeah, I think the journey that I experienced like writing this book is almost a book in itself. But yeah, I, I, I forgot your original question, Hattie, but oh, no, my answer cares. <laughs> who cares?
1: Who cares? <laughs> but I have to say, I think too that because I grew up, my dad was a preacher. So I grew up where where you talked more about vocation than you did job,
0: mm-hmm. but I was a
1: nurse, which is a job. But mm-hmm. I think that writing and I feel it in the pages of this novel, and we're going to talk more about it in a minute. But it's also a calling, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't answer that call, and you don't search for the depth of meaning, and you only worry about the commercial aspect of it, you would never have written a book like you wrote.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So
1: I know you did a lot of research, and on your Instagram, you talked about interviewing the shark expert. Yes. So. I want you to talk about that and how it impacted the story. I I didn't realize that and I saw that and I thought, whoa, no wonder it felt like we totally inhabited a shark.
0: Yeah, that's such a great question because I am like the type of person who will like get a, a, like an order furniture that you have to assemble and I'll look at it and like try to assemble it without reading the instructions. And so I feel like that's also the type of writer that I am. I just start with this inspiration and this feeling place. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot of things I don't know I have to research. And so I really wrote. I knew who the characters were inside and out, and the book was pretty much finished before I spoke to Greg. And by then, I knew exactly what I needed to know. I it's, you way. can you can find out a lot about anything online. but the thing that's hard to touch, especially with a great white shark, it literally is touch. Like, what does it feel like to be like touching one of these animals? like what do, what do their teeth feel like? And he was incredible to talk to because, well, first of all, I was like, pretty intimidated. He's, he's kind of a big deal in the great white shark space of things. Like you cannot like Google great white shark and like, it does not find his name, but he immediately just like jumped into the imaginative waters with me and was like imagining scenarios. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, and also maybe Patty, you've encountered this before, but you don't have to know how to pronounce every word that you put in your book. But in this case, I mean, there are a lot of like intense anatomical shark words that I was like, you know, I'm looking at this diagram in one of Greg's uh, books. And I'm like, yep, that's the part. So I'm going to add it into the book. And then the like the director of the audio book is like, okay, here's a list of words. Like, how do we pronounce these? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, I like recorded myself and sent them off to Greg. And he I was like, is this am I close? And he was like. No, <laughs> but I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad to have um, someone like that to be able to back check my, you know, my wild inclinations there.
2: That is awesome. I, I just want to say before I, this next question that I, listening to you, it just, you come through the book and I have not met you before this, but like hearing you, I can hear your voice now through the book more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I just, it makes me love it all the more. So thank you. We're going to talk now about a little bit about Lewis, who's a high school teacher and the man that's turning into a shark. He's always threatening to write a play and always shying away from it at the same time. His heart's broken by the theater, but he's also still in love. You have him say this line, If we don't value artists as the most visionary among us, what will we have left of this world? What is left but the pursuit of more money and more things? put such wise words in his voice. Talk to us about theater, writing plays, and the desire to include all of the elements of a script in writing your story.
0: Yeah, that Thank you for speaking in that line aloud. So basically, um, when I went to graduate school, I did my master's of theological studies at Vanderbilt. I did a second master's degree at the same time, which I wouldn't do again, but it
2: was
0: (laughs) I think it prepared me for launching a book, honestly. Yeah. And the second master's in that period I did within the School of Education, and it was in community development, which is kind of a subset of social science, not really like education as far as teaching. But a lot of the work I did in that program was around artists as culture bearers and the ways in which artists are the change makers in our reality. Because, I mean, in my belief, everything is story-based. And the way to change the world is to change the story. And so I really talked to a lot of different artists and a lot of different disciplines And there's just amazing community of artists in Nashville that are doing this work on the ground. And I couldn't say more things about them positively. I just I learned so much from them. And I think that's something that I that I took from that graduate work was that like supporting the arts is 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 political. I mean, I think all art is political and it's necessary to creating a vibrant culture. So I don't think we can divorce those things. So anyway, I appreciate you saying that. And um, that's, that's, that's kind of like the flag that I wave as, as far as what I stand for. But as far as um, including the play structure and our town and all of that, well, first of all, I was in this place working, working in film and I have a theater background, like my character and honestly, writing scripts is like just as natural to me as prose. And, and I love the way scripts are so lean. And as a reader who, who reads a lot of scripts for fun, I find that my mind is kind of coloring almost like it is a novel. Like I'm imagining them move and in some ways I have to work a little harder to imagine things. And so in the beginning, I think I was just writing the scenes as scripts because I can. And I was just writing the books I wanted to write. But then later, I think it hit me. I was asking myself, why these scenes? Why, Why these places? And I think the parts that are scenes are moments of derealization of times. I don't know if you've ever had the experience when you're in a really stressful time or something's happening to you actively and you feel like you're kind of above yourself, watching yourself. Yes. Outside the
1: window looking in.
0: Yeah. And it's like the mind is so powerful and loving in that way that we don't have to be there for all the hard things in life that we can pull away. And I know that is um, a trauma response for sure. And I had those moments a lot in the pandemic where I'm like, is this happening? Like, is this real? And I would feel disconnected. And so I think in, in Shark Heart, the scene's, really I hope serve that purpose as well as you know keeping things moving and like I said creating like an imaginative experience for the reader who may not may or may not read a lot of scripts but also like on a deeper level that kind of derealization or transcendence for for momentarily where the characters aren't fully in their in their bodies because what's happening is so hard and then I chose Our Town because well first of all as far as like thinking realistically um, about what would be a good high school play. I think our town is like right up there. It's in the public domain. Like it's super cheap. It's not going to, there's really nothing like on the surface level provocative about it. The school administration, teachers and parents are not going to like raise, raise hell about this. There's nothing, there's nothing um, that's not completely G, but on the surf, um, that's the surface, but beneath it, I think it's very provocative it's talking about the simple things of life and kind of looking at the beginning of, of the life through the lens of the end. And I think the spiritual transcendent moment at the end where Emily goes up to be with her ancestors is also really present in Sharkhart with all of the women. You see the, you see Wren's um, mother and her grandmother and even what her future looks like. And so that kind of like nesting doll of a family experience, um, I don't know, it's really kind of connected. And I don't think I did that consciously, but I think maybe just because I love our town so much that it appeared in the novel as well.
1: Our subconscious is such a murky little place, popping things up, putting in themes we didn't see. And I wanted to say when you you talk about pulling away, the term I like to use sometimes when that happens to my character or myself Mm -hmm. is untethered. Like, all of a sudden, you're untethered from yourself, Mm -hmm. and you're watching it, and I could feel that in the novel.
0: Yeah,
2: That's nice. and And I just want to say, too, about the way the book is formatted. People that we've spoken to who write scripts talk about how much they have to condense in a small number of sentences. And that was one of the beauties of this book is that you say so much and so little. It's, mm-hmm. it's just so expansive in my brain and I'm reading it. And um, I think Patty said this, too, like, you'd have to put it down and just let it kind of wash over you a little oh, bit wow. before you, you move on. It's just really that kind of a book for us. Mm, thank you. Speaking of lines from the book that we love, there's another one. Lewis wondered if he might be the average one after all. At times he felt he would rather die than find out the truth. Isn't that all of our fear? Our writerly fear? The one that haunts us when we can't get the words right?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I'm so close with that um that actor's experience. Like I after college, I thought I might want to act, and I moved out to Los Angeles to do that. And pretty soon, changed gears into the writing path. But so many of my friends are actors on stage and on screen, and it's just such a—it takes a relentless amount of, of hustle and stamina, and just this renewed energy. And I and I think the reason why um, the dream didn't last for me is just I don't have that love. I don't have that love for the craft. But I love that Lewis does, that he's someone who gave up. But like you said, Patty, like once you have a call, like you cannot, you can try to leave it alone, but it will follow you. And I think that's what happens with him. And yeah, I just I have such deep reverence for theater artists. And I think live performance is so important in our culture um, to be able to connect with other human beings and kind of breathe the same air in the same room and have this experience that is this ephemeral
1: Yep. And when we try to ignore that call, it'll wake us up at two AM. It'll put us in a bad mood. Oh, yeah. It'll it, come in. It shows our up in other areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why are Absolutely. you in such a bad mood? I don't know.
2: <laughs> because you're making me do this and not letting me do this. <laughs> letting me do that. <laughs> yeah. Eating better is something we want to be convenient and easy. With factors delicious, ready to eat meals, every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. I'm looking forward to over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. What are you waiting for? Let's get started today and get after our goals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prep, no mess. With Factor, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Join us and head to factormeals.com slash fiction50 and use code fiction50 to get 50% off. That's code fiction50 at factormeals.com slash fiction50 to get 50% off.
3: Ready to age awesome? Pop in your AirPods and join me, Katie Fogarty, over on A Certain Age Podcast an age-positive podcast that helps you live your best evolving midlife loud and proud. We know the only constant is change. Kids grow, jobs come and go. What it takes to be fit, healthy, happy, fulfilled in midlife looks way different than it did in our 20s and 30s. A Certain Age features expert voices in real women, 40, 50, 60, and beyond, with tips, tools, and resources to help with the hard stuff, menopause, aging parents, career change, and light you up about what's next. Each week we talk wellness, beauty, family, money, purpose, fashion, and fun in frank, funny interviews that go straight to the heart of issues facing women. One Apple podcast review says each episode is a goldmine of ideas, emotional support, and self-discovery. I feel like I'm part of the conversation at the best dinner party imaginable. A Certain Age Podcast. Live midlife out loud. So
1: Emily, for me, one of the finest measures of a novel is the range of feelings during the reading. And with this novel, I was feeling all of them Mm -hmm. from loss to love, to anger, to humiliation. Mm -hmm. You know, when some of these, one of the characters was changing into a lizard to peace. And there Mm -hmm. are so many lines I underlined and so many times I put the book down, like he said, to understand Whatever that flash of feeling was. So this novel is proof that we can live through others' lives in stories, yeah. even if it's impossible. A shark, for example.
0: Yeah.
1: When you're describing Ren as a child, you say this. She wasn't an exceptional student. She was isolated socially, preferring to read in recess next to the teacher rather than with her classmates. Hello, I'm raising my hand. This was me. <laughs> and I believe this is so many writers. And maybe we find in love story so that we can eventually write them. Or am I alone here?
0: Yeah, no, I don't think you're alone. I don't know. The public school system is just like, not great for introverts. Like, no. like sometimes I'm like, how did I do that? Like, how did I wake up at like seven every morning to go sit in a room with 20 people like and I think I did well in school partially because like schoolwork was a place I could kind of retreat to when things were loud and people are so loud the world is so loud and so yeah I also want to comment on what you were saying about the range of feelings and hearing early readers reactions especially Emotional ones has been super affirming to me because, like, <laughs> I feel like I want to say, like, well, I cried the whole time writing this. <laughs> I'm glad oh, that I'm not alone here. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. I remember there was one time I came downstairs and I was I'm telling my partner I was like, uh, next book cannot be so sad. I have to write something less sad. But once I went in, it's like you know, the I'm sure you have this experience, but the, you put the characters on their feet and they are doing their thing, and you're like, oh, we're doing this. this is is how yes. it has to go and then just like rewriting some of those scenes was like I don't know I just had to prepare myself every time because I'm to be able to really get into their heads and maybe that's the act former actor in me of like really playing them in a way and understanding what they're feeling um yeah it was an it was an emotional labor at times for sure
2: yeah, was I'm in the camp of people that got emotional reading it. I don't often get that way, but there was one scene and I won't say what it is, but like I just couldn't I couldn't stop. I couldn't I couldn't help myself. It was just like and in my house my husband goes like, Are you crying? I'm like, <laughs> I said it's so good. <laughs> Oh, it's so it's
0: beautiful. So nice. And when you're like, oh, he's a shark, you know, it's like, <laughs> It's a, <laughs> and like, it's
3: a shark, and,
2: it's,
0: <laughs>
2: and there's twin birds, and <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you for thank you for committing. You know, I think that takes a, a leap of faith in your own imagination to trust to trust the journey. Fast the
2: I was I was in from page one, so you know, mm. it, job well done. Thank you. But th- one of the things I think that makes this so wonderful is there's so much magic in the book, and um, Lewis feels like he's um, had a true shock of realization. He says, "I've had it wrong all along. If magic exists in a real way, it is not here to dazzle us with all that is unreal to the naked eye. What if magic is just mislabeled peace?" Mm. Talk to us about how you define magic and what is it for you?
0: Oh, that's such a beautiful question because growing up, I I think about your book, Patty, The Secret Book of Flora Lee, about two girls who love magic and, and commit to magic through stories. And I definitely did that as a kid growing up. I had like all these magical worlds in our woods and they were just like, uh, it's like, it's like my experience of writing a novel. Now I like descend into this place. Um, but as an adult, I've often in different ways stumbled into the realization that spirituality is a form of magic. And it's this kind of embrace of the mystery and, when I was a kid, like playing those games in the, in our woods and I was a fairy princess or, you know, whatever I was that day, like, I just, I just trusted that it was and that, and that, and that this was the world that existed. And I think sometimes in life and when things are really hard, I, I just have to trust that some, something is, something is holding this all up, you know, and I don't have to know what it is. And, Sometimes and in, in, in with that line about magic being mislabeled peace, I think that I, when I'm grasping for peace and I never feel that way, it's like, I'm, you know, I can like go get a massage or take a walk and I'm like, why won't it come? But then it just happens. It's like this kind right. of visitor. And I, I yeah, I just, I, I have to learn that lesson again and again and again. So maybe writing some of these things in the book is a way to remind me that, that you know, of, of what I've learned before and forgotten. I would say we, we
1: write to learn what we already knew,
0: right? Yeah, like exactly. And to circle
1: back to it, like, especially when it comes to the unseen or the unexplainable or the invisible or the unanswerable questions, like yeah. none of it's going to get solved. None of it. No, no. But we can circle back to it in a story over and yeah. over.
0: I find so much peace in that, being able yes. to... Yeah, I I think maybe that is that is my magic, you know, is in and peace is like writing because there can be a lot of a lot of chaos in the world and a lot of chaos in my book. But being able to be like, again, like untethered in the book and omniscient, it, it is it is nice. It's like, I don't know, not to not like I'm playing God. Sometimes it feels that way. But a lot of times I'm being carried along with the characters. I'm sure you feel that.
1: Um, Those are on the best days.
0: Yeah. And then other (laughs) times it's just mud.
1: (laughs) And other (laughs) times there's sinking sand. So I I see this metaphor, apropos of what we just talked about. I see this metaphor in the novel, and I'm wondering if you meant to do it or if it grew out of the story. And it's the way that a writer or an actor and the story combine to become something new even lewis calls it the holiest of creative experiences so do you believe we become something new as we write as we move into mm. something imaginative do we change and did you
0: mm. oh that's such a good question so mm, i have to think for a second i know this is like an entire <sighs> podcast
1: alone that question I know.
0: wow Well, I think in the context of that line, I was, I'm talking about the experience when you're, like I, like you said, on a good day, when you're carried with it and you look up and, you know, six hours have gone by and you're starving, and sun's down and you're like, wow, how did I, how did I lose a whole day in this paragraph? But as far as like the actual work changing us, I think it has to, I think there's an alchemy I think my story, you know, as far as like my literal movement across America as I wrote this book and yeah, I think I definitely feel changed. I felt so held by this book. I, I oh, at, wow. at a certain point, I just think I was like, who cares if this ever gets published? I need, to, I need to be in this world. Like the characters just felt like such companions through times of like true loneliness and I think, you know, my editor had to like pry it out of my hands. I think I had a little anxiety <laughs> around like after the third pass, I was like, oh, there's little things, there's little things. But I think so much of that was just about being like, I mean, this is not a spoiler, but the last line in the book is go play, be free. And that is something that I struggle with of just like letting letting it flow, letting letting the things be. Ah, so hard. Like, I want my
1: hands like this,
0: not like this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Oh, that
2: last line. Oh, <laughs> I'm set. Let's go back to structure a little bit. You've touched on a, a bit, but without spoilers... Part one is the love story. Part mm-hmm. two is the story of Angela, who's Ren's mm-hmm. mother. Mm-hmm. And part three, we hear more from Lewis. Mm-hmm. There's snippets of a play, there's directives. Some chapters are only two sentences long. Talk to us again about the structure and how much of it was pre planned and how much of it came to you along the way. In other words, are you a planner or do you write yourself into the story?
0: I don't know what I am. I think it changes. I'm working on a project now that's very planned, but I don't think, I don't think this was okay. For one, as a reader, I like to feel smart and I'm very distracted. And so if I am turning pages and I'm still feeling that depth, I am happy. I'm like, this is great. I am. Yeah. So distractible, And so I think I wanted to write a book also that spoke to that, because I think in writing, and and I'm probably a very distractible writer as well. (laughs) I've never thought about that. But yeah, but also like on a a deeper level, I think that was the story's intuition like the whole time. And I, I, I didn't ever think about genre while I was working on this. I think I think if I had, if I had gotten in the weeds with what, what type of book this is, I think it might've really, I don't know, formed my concept of what it should be, but this is just how I wanted to tell it. And at the time I was working and going to school and, and, and sometimes like some days I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'd be like, I, I want to write today, but these two lines are all that I have in me. And this is, and I did my writing for today. I entered this world and it was great. And so some of those, some of those like original tired day passages, like are still in the book. And, but then at at a certain point, I just committed to it. And I'm like, this is what this is. So let's like, let's make it shine. Like now that I know it's a little bit like my relationship with my curly hair. Like, it's like, okay, (laughs) like, like I'm like, okay, like now I know I'm just going to like live with this hair. So I got to get the right products and right person to cut it. And so I think It's a little bit of just like letting it be itself. And yeah, I didn't even realize it was a love story until my film agent mentioned it in a meeting. It was like, I was like, really? This is a love story? Really? And so I like all of these concepts of like, what is, what, how to label things just like was really just not in my, (laughs) not in my head at all. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a path of discovery to see what readers like call it. I think it's been called, see if I can remember everything. Speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy. Magical realism. Magical realism. Oh, yeah, literary fiction, experimental fiction, women's fiction. I we think everybody's call it right. A story. Just yeah, call it a story. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> take them all. We'll take them all. Yeah,
0: everybody's <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so Emily, I believe that when we are writing at our finest, we're writing about the things we care about the most. And we approach those things sometimes with a side eye, you know, and from mm-hmm. different angles. What are the things you care about so much that you return to again and again in this mm-hmm. novel and to their themes or their hints that you either saw ahead of time or saw later?
0: Hmm. I think I, I'm a person that has like not a huge community, but my friendships are few and deep. And I really, I really care about about those people and loving them, and mm. and my family. I think so much of this book. I mean, in hindsight, is about how much I love my mom. But really, I think it's uh, it's just a reflection of, of of my love for her and uh, my love for my family. And I think, yeah, those are the things I care about the most. And. So much of, like, I think the, what motivates those really emotional scenes is, like, my fear of not saying the thing to the person mm-hmm. that I need to say to them. And so I write a lot of really mushy thank you cards and, you know, text oh, emails and stuff I like I want to be that. friends. I want you friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs>
2: Okay. So I don't say this often, but, like, this is your debut? <laughs> Talk to us about that whole experience.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm in it, figure, figuring it out. Honestly, Patty, ever since that day, I stole your pen at the Simon and Schuster <laughs> event. I have felt like, I don't know, like energetically protected or guided by you. Like I look at oh. your, I look at your stuff on social media and I'm like, wow, like Patty makes it look so easy. And she's like, just so together and Like, your outfits are great, and you're just generous and the way you write about promoting your book. I don't know. It's just been so educational for me just to, like, witness a veteran in in the process. So I think that kind of leads to the next part, which is, like, coming from the film industry and also theater, like, I really only knew, like, one published author when I got the book deal. And so I think there's been this feeling of, like, is— I've always wondered, it's like, is this normal? Is this normal? Like, (laughs) and I, but I I think at at its core, like, I love the work and like, I know, I, I know how and what I like to write. And so that part has kind of been my like guiding, I don't know, my guiding light through this process that, you know, as, as the book launches into the world, that it's really just about The writing, and again, like returning to that sense of vocation of like, yes, the yes, like the this, this this the the business steps and you know the the publishing journey from you know editorial notes to production that may be new to me, but the but the sense of call that's like overarching it of like of like hoping that this story makes someone feel less alone. That that to me is like confident. And so when the other parts of me are shaky, I think I can just trust that that intention is strong.
1: Oh my goodness. That mm. is literally the best place to end this, that the intention of making oh, people feel less alone. If, yeah. if we can just do that for five minutes, two pages, just to let people know that this quirky, messy human experience <laughs> We're all in it together, whether it's an imaginative shark heart or a realistic, you know, amazing. So Emily, we cannot thank you enough for joining Mm -hmm. Friends in Fiction. We think shark heart is going to truly resonate with readers as it did with us. It already has. It has yes. So please share how everyone can connect with you online. I know you have some events coming up. Can you tell us about it?
0: Yeah. Let's see if I can remember everything. Yes, I am on Instagram. Just Emily Habeck, I think is my my handle. And I'm on Twitter for however long that lasts. And <laughs> yeah, but you can also email me. My author email address is up on my website, emilyhabeck.com. And I'm doing a, a few events coming up. I'm doing my launch at Porter Square Books in Cambridge on the nice. launch day, 8 8 which kind of feels a little lucky, you know, I feel like that's, that's a good, that's a good, feels numerically sound. And then Emily, solid. Yes. Yes. I'll also be in Oklahoma city and Los Angeles and I'm doing a virtual event for a store in Texas. And so, yeah, and probably more to come. So just, uh, I'll uh, keep posting and sharing.
2: They'll be knocking at your door. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As always, a huge thank you to our listeners. Be sure to get a copy of this beautiful, emotional, and hopeful, ultimately, book Shark Heart by visiting our friendsandfictionbookshop.org page. Save a little cash and support your favorite indie bookstore. We appreciate you joining us and hope you'll tune in again next week.